Straight Outta Cobham is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC focused podcast from The Athletic. Every week we bring you all the latest from SW6, from reviews and previews to blues news and our writers' views. On today's show about last night, we convene a day later than normal to chew over the Monday night misery inflicted by the men from Manchester and Stockley Park. Also, we're chatting Hakem Ziyech after Chelsea confirmed the Moroccan midfielder will be heading to West London from Ajax next season. We'll round up the latest from the women's and academy team, say hello to another cult hero, and we might even spend some time looking ahead to Spurs on Saturday. It's a rather big game, as if you weren't aware. All that to come on this week's edition of Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello again, or hello and welcome if you're joining us for the first time. My name's Matt Davis-Adams, and once a week I get to sit down with the Athletics Chelsea experts and go through what's going down in the world of the Blues. It's a full house in the studio today. First up, he was dispatched to Boreham Wood for Loftus Cheek Watch on Monday night. How'd that go, Liam Toomey? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I saw Chelsea win. (laughs) All right, that's the real quiz. Uh, With Liam, his partner in joint reads, it's Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. And alongside Liam and Simon, a man with his eye across the entire <laughs> London football landscape, it's Don Fifield. Can you beat that cracking introduction from Simon? Uh, that, that has got to be the worst introduction <laughs> I've ever heard. Try again. I, I'm still um, recovering from the drama of, of Monday night. It's taken its toll. All right. Well, that's the only place that we can start today's show. It finished Chelsea nil, Manchester United 2 at Stamford Bridge on Monday as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got the better of Frank Lampard for the third time this season. A goal in each half from Marshall and Maguire did the damage. Chelsea also left ruining refereeing decisions, both those made by the man in the middle, Anthony. Taylor and the man in a business park in Uxbridge, Chris Kavanagh. Uh, Simon, you were there once again. Chelsea left cursing their own wastefulness in front of goal. Yeah, not a great night for Michy Batshuayi, who um, you, you almost think that that sealed his fate as far as his Chelsea future concerned. Um, his first start, admittedly, in the league, I think, for a couple of years, but um, you've got to take your opportunity. And he missed about four or five of his opportunities. Uh, and the crowd turned on him. Um, which was quite sad, but you can understand the, the frustration. But it, it's one; it's just a, the same old story as far as Chelsea concerned. Not good enough at the back, not good enough up front. But what made it more painful was, of course, VAR, which I have to say, it's been a regular debate all season, but I have to say it was one of the worst nights for VAR that I think we've seen because uh, I'm still bemused how Harry Maguire is was able to stay on the pitch after what was a pretty blatant stamping batch-wise uh, midsection. Uh, his explanation for that, Don, was was quite extraordinary in that he was just trying to break batch-wise fall. I wasn't that convinced that that was a nailed-on red card, but so we had we had that, which you could say is kind of subjective. The Giroud goal, I think we can all agree that was offside, fair enough. But the Zuma goal, I mean, how on earth they ruled that out when you can see somebody push Azpilicueta who then falls into Fred... I, I, that was the one that really left me scratching my head. Yeah, look, I guess I, I can see the argument. I don't think Fred pushed him with quite the same force as Azpilicueta then pushed um, his man. 
so I'm not I'm not certain that they got that particularly wrong. But then we are debating this, and this will be. It, I mean, it was a two-handed push on the back of the Man United player um, from Aspilicueta. So it wasn't a huge surprise to me that it was disallowed. I saw I saw one earlier this season. I think it was was it Palace Liverpool. Um, Jordan Ayew got done for a one-handed push on a Liverpool player who was nowhere near the ball. Um, and the goal was disallowed in that respect. So I just thought it looked fairly blatant. And yeah, I, I, I know people are rightly disheartened by the whole VAR experience and it, it does detract from it all. But we would be... I think some of the blame must lie with the referee on field as well. Anthony Taylor had a good view of Maguire. Um, and at the time I saw that, in, in, in full speed, it, oh, I thought that that's a sending off. That's, he's gone there. And that's, that's exactly the same as Son against Rudiger, was it? Um, same referee, of course. Same referee. <laughs> so where's the consistency in that? Um, but then actually when you slowed it down, actually in one of those, one, one of those weird occasions where you're, the actual slow-mo actually did Maguire some favours in some ways, I thought. Um, I thought Batshuayi, the one th- argument that Maguire comes out with, oh, he thought that Batshuayi was going to fall on him. I'm not sure he was going to do that. But then it was so quick and it was such a split second. And I guess you react in different ways to that. Mm, yeah, did, I heard that the official explanation from the sort of officials afterwards was that on the review of the Batshuayi Maguire incident, it could only be a red card if it was violent conduct. And I think this is part of the confusion with VAR is where are all these additional guidelines coming from? Because when you give out a red card in real time, violent conduct is not the only offence that merits a straight red. It could be reckless, recklessly endangering an opponent. I mean, he was recklessly endangering Batshuayi's ability to have children. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's there's clearly a case for that being a red card. And, this, I think, goes to the point of why I've never been convinced that VAR will be for football what the biggest optimists hope it will be because we have subjective laws, laws, rules of the game. And even if you take a human on field in real time with one view of an incident at one angle making a decision and make it a human on a screen with several different angles it's still a human making a subjective decision which people are going to disagree with and in big games like this it's going to be amplified all the more when those margins consistently go against one team and that's what we saw what i uh, just quickly interject what i found very interesting last night was that the fans voted with their feet and that when Giroud's goal was ruled out albeit rightly because he was offside a load of people just got up and walked out and it wasn't just because oh, Chelsea have lost, because there was still like 12, 14 minutes to go, I think. It was a clear protest. It was like, that's it, I've seen enough. And even if you look at Twitter, the Chelsea fans actually saying, that's it, I'm not going to renew my season ticket, I've had enough, I don't want to watch this anymore, it's not football anymore. So whether that's a right decision for them to be held, obviously in the heat of the moment, they're disappointed, Chelsea's season is kind of threatening to fall apart. There may be an argument why they shouldn't renew their season ticket anyway, the way they're playing at the moment. But there's no doubt about it. Last uh, On Monday night, there was real emotion in that stadium about VAR. And 
whether you agree with the decisions or not, there's no doubt about it what the fans think about it. Yeah, and walking out's probably more effective than chanting it's not football anymore one minute and then when someone goes down in the box chanting for VAR because you Very want true. the penalty. A um, couple of questions from, from listeners to finish off on the game. Um, we've had one here from James who says, how many goals has a substitute scored this season? Seems to me our subs have been so ineffective. Liam, I just went through it before we switched the mics on. Reese James against Ajax, Batshuayi against Ajax and Batshuayi against Southampton are the only examples. Giroud would have been one of those last night. Is he going from plan C to plan B and maybe even plan A now? I think he should have been working his way up the order a long time ago. I think this this is the most legitimate criticism you can have of Lampard's management this season is why in the face of mounting evidence since Amsterdam he continues to prefer Batshuayi over Giroud because I, I know he wants, you know, we've written about how he wants like constant motion from his strikers, how he wants them to be able to press within the system and we know that's not Giroud's strength. But given the particular problems that Chelsea have had against teams sitting deep, giving them the wide areas, giving them, basically saying to them, cross as much as you want and we'll just clear it away. You saw last night, I mean, part of the reason why people dwelled on the Maguire incident so much because he subsequently got in the way of pretty much every ball Chelsea put into the box and that's been happening consistently and if Giroud is in there it's a different problem for defenders and it, we you know we saw with that offside goal he's so good at those near post runs and being able to to his movement is so much better than Batshuayi's in those situations aside from anything else so I, I really don't understand why Lampard continues to prioritise Batshuayi um, and we've not been given a satisfactory answer to that. But as to the wider issue of substitutions, Chelsea don't have a very good squad. I mean, we've known this for for a while. They couldn't strengthen last summer. They decided there weren't feasible opportunities to strengthen in January. And this is what this is, you know. And, and they've also emerged from the February break more injury hit than they were when they went into it. So until they start to get a little bit healthier... Um, I think this team is going to continue to struggle when Plan A doesn't work, and Plan A isn't working very often right now. I was, I was, I was, infu- I wasn't as as infuriated as you guys were with the VAR last night, but I have, I was infuriated by the stubbornness not to have given Giroud a start. Uh, it makes no sense. When when Lampard came in, he preached pragmatism. He knew that he couldn't add to his squad in the summer. He didn't expect to add to his squad in winter, winter at, that, at that stage because the band was still. Um, stood in place and he suggested that he had to be pragmatic with what he had he has a World Cup winning striker who was a leading scorer in the Europa League last season at his disposal okay Tammy Abraham was fantastic throughout the autumn into the early winter did brilliantly but when it became very obvious that Tammy Tammy Abraham needed needed a break needed to be taken out the firing line he went with Batshuayi and Giroud, okay, he's in the last six months of his contract. He's been playing Pedro and William, no problem there of, of late. Why would you not play Giroud? What, Giroud comes on last night and makes an immediate impact. And was anyone surprised? Seriously? I mean, he, he's a quality player. Okay, he might not provide you with the blur of movement you want up front. Play to your strengths. You've got a certain number of players at your disposal. Play to their strengths. Find a, a system that works with him in it because you're a better team with him in it at the moment than when, when, you, when you're without him. It, it, it's it's baffling. And that, that, is the, that is the one thing I took from last night that that, that that damns Lampard. And he needs he needs to sort of 
stop being stubborn unless there's something major that's happened behind the scenes a major fallout and and Giroud is, is in the wrong for some reason that we don't know about well he said he's been professional the whole time hasn't well, he he's, he's had no complaints with the way he's carried himself at, at Cobham I mean if you spoke to Lampard privately he you know he might say that he the last time he started Giroud in the Premier League against West Ham in November he played really badly and made absolutely no impact on the game whatsoever but that's one chance. How many chances has Batshuayi had since Amsterdam? Which obviously that winner against Ajax earned him a great deal of goodwill because it was a huge goal in Chelsea's season. But he's done nothing to, to justify that faith since Batsh- then. Batshuayi is an instinctive finisher. At the moment you look at him and whenever he has time to think about what he wants to do, it, the confidence just, it just evaporates. He, he diminishes, he shrinks visibly. Um, he, he scored... Instinctive goals last season on loan, number one at Burnley, a side foot from a, a pinged cross from Wambasaka. Exactly the same scenario yesterday. I think it was Mount who put it in and he side switched it wide. He's a player that's completely shot to pieces confidence wise. There's no real point in picking him from the start. And yet you listed the substitutes who make an impact there. Maybe Batshuayi flung on from the bench with 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go might make an impact. He scored a couple of goals, including the Ajax one. Maybe that's how you use him. Not this way. Around. I'll just quickly add my tuppence. I agree 100% with the two chaps. And look, there's a reason why Eden Hazard, of all people, called Giroud the best target man in world football. So if he's good enough for Eden Hazard, he should be good enough for this Chelsea side. All right, we've uh, given Lampard a bit of a lampooning. Let's do it as we round off our, our coverage of the game. Uh, he said uh, N'Golo Kante's got an adductor problem, which, uh, to quote the Chelsea manager, doesn't look good. Uh, Sam's tweeted the show, brackets me, to ask. Uh, Lampard said he was going to work out work players hard this week, and by the end of it, Callum's injured, Kante's injured within 20 minutes, and uh, Pedro went down with cramp at the end. Do you think the training methods cause more muscle injuries it's kind of difficult to say is it maybe a consequence of having a week off and then going back into to high intensity work or I mean in Pedro's case he hasn't played much football come the end of the game he's likely to get cramp at his age yeah um, and can say let's be honest he's um, he's, he's had, having one of those seasons isn't he's it? had problems ever since he played the Europa League final you know that of course he was put out for for the the be all and end all of Sarri's reign um, having picked up a serious injury just a few days before and there's no coincidence that he hasn't looked right ever since. Um, he's only played, I'd say, a couple of games where he's been at his normal level, um, and he just keeps on picking up these little these knocks. Um, and as for Hudson Odoi, he's obviously getting over a serious injury still himself and working his way back to his best. And so it may be just coincidental, you know, the, the players in question, you know, for all the re- relative reasons. But there's, what you hear about Lampard's training is. It is intense, it, and and perhaps it's you know because he's very much a I will pick players on the way they train. Um, there's no let off. Um, there's no, you know it's a very intense training, but I, I don't think it's solely towards training. I think it's just one of those things that the players in question we're talking about have had a lot of issues anyway. What I would say as well is I think this February break doesn't really help. I think it's shutting the barn door after the horse has bolted. The the problem with the English football schedule is December not February. At this stage of the season, the damage is done, really. The miles are in lots of players' legs and you're not just seeing this with Chelsea, you're seeing an accumulation of injuries, mainly over the December-January period, which obviously Dom has written about extensively. And I, I just think with the February break, while well-intentioned, comes too late. 
But we're, we're, this is this is a, the first year that we've done it. I guess they they have to be big enough to to look at it again and to, to work out whether it's isn't it not not more worthwhile to scrap that that round of fixtures immediately after Boxing Day, or even drag out a, a round of fixtures from Boxing Day through to New Year's, because that that seems to be a far more feasible option for them to pursue. Um, a lot of the a lot of the teams coming back. And playing in, in after a week off in this February period have been sluggish. You know, I mean, Man United weren't particularly impressive in that first half. Definitely were they? not. So, I mean, it's it's not as if Chelsea were were beaten by a dazzling team. It was it was two sides that just looked off the pace, and United happened to score first. Mm. Well, Chelsea weren't able to call on any January reinforcements on Monday night, but there will be at least one new face through the door this summer after the club revealed they've agreed to sign Ajax midfielder Hakim Ziyech. We'll be discussing that after this. So it was Thursday last week that Chelsea announced they'd agreed a deal with Ajax to sign the 26-year-old Moroccan international midfielder Hakem Ziyech. The move subject to the player agreeing personal terms, and presumably that won't be a problem, otherwise they wouldn't have announced it. Uh, the piece that Liam and Simon did uh, last week was very detailed and excellent. I would point everybody to that. It's available on The Athletic now. It showed, Liam, that it's been a, a transfer a long time in the making. It's not just something they decided to pursue in January. Yeah, I mean, when Chelsea announced the deal, you know, there were some glowing quotes from Frank Lampard about how much he personally admires the player. But all the information we've been given, there was some fantastic information from David Ornstein in that piece as well, um, that Ziyech is a club target. He's some someone that Chelsea have been looking at for a long time. Steadily over the last three years, they've become more and more convinced that he has what it takes to be a difference maker at the highest level. And what he's done over the past 18 months in the Champions League in particular, but also on Ajax's run to the Europa League final before that, has really strengthened that case because there's always an inbuilt reticence in England with some justification um, to just take Eredivisie stats at, at face value. You know, does it translate? And we've we've seen wild examples either way. But the fact that he's done this, goals, assists, big game impact against really top European sides, including Chelsea and the Champions League group stage, I think has really um, sealed his case. And I, and I think there's a lot of other clubs around Europe actually quite impressed um, at how quickly Chelsea got this done because the the perception of English clubs more broadly around Europe is that they are quite reactionary. They do panic. They wait till the last minute and then they spend big. So for Chelsea to get this over the line, I think is encouraging heading into what is a very big summer, but there are other issues to address. In terms of um, ZX, Simon, the piece went into, into great detail about, about his upbringing. He's, he's had a difficult childhood and, and that makes it more impressive that he's managed to get to where he is. Yeah. I mean, he very much could have, not had a football career at all. I mean, he was going down the wrong path as a couple of his brothers had done and seen their promising sort of careers sort of over before they really began because they they, they got involved in, a, in the wrong side of, of life, made a few bad decisions and, and he ended up having to sit down with his, with his mother and one of his brothers who sort of read him the right act. Because his father passed away. When his he was father. Young. I mean, it was quite frightening actually. His, his father passed away at the age of ten in his house, um, suffered from multiple sclerosis, um, but he didn't actually get to go to the funeral. Um, and he he went over to visit. He, his father was buried in Morocco, and he only got to see him at the age of fourteen. Um, and it really me messed him up, as it would. Let's be honest, most most kids, you know. Um, but I think what's happened is because he's had such a a tough start in life, 
and had these difficult choices to make. It's it's actually made him the player he is in terms of his personality. And I think personality as well as his ability is exactly what Chelsea need. And it's very very interesting how Lampard talks about him being a winner and sort of getting that, having spoken to him, that vibe, his personality of sort of... And you just sort of think that Chelsea dressing room, which has significant, significantly lost leadership in recent years, I think he'll add some steel as well as some experience into that dressing room, which is very much re- required for next season. And Dom, Liam mentioned Neri Divisi transfers and, and how they can be hit or miss. The fact that Chelsea have been able to see him at such close quarters twice this season will, will make them feel more confident that he'll be more Luis Suarez than Afonso Alves. <laughs> <laughs> Georgie Samaras, do you remember him? Um, yeah, look, he, he proved his pedigree on that Champions League run last season. Um and looked a, a wonderful player then. Um, it's uh, you know when you when you see the clips of what he did on on that run and view some of those performances, um, you look at the fee that Chelsea have paid and think, wow, that's a that's a proper bargain. He's half a Zaha. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yeah, clearly not worth as much to Ajax as Zaha is to Chris Pines, But let's not go there. Um, it's well, look, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great price, but it's a great price. To such an extent that you, you, the cynic in me wonders whether there's a reason others haven't paid it. Um, maybe they've been put off by by the past, as, as, as Simon points out. I think at that price, it's a risk that Chelsea are, are right to take, considering the, the particular circumstances of the squad. I mean, it may be that other clubs around, other elite clubs, don't want to be buying a 20, 27, is he? 27 yeah, he's 20, he will be 27 by the time he, he plays come, his first yeah, Premier League yeah. game. So I mean, they might be looking in the younger bracket, but we know that Chelsea have got a load of younger players, so they need a bit of, you know, somebody with experience, yeah, in the late mid to late twenties to to sort of take them on in the in the short term as well as the longer term. Um, I'm excited to see how he does. Uh, every player that comes to England, particularly from Dutch football, tends to need in the climatization period. He needs to get used to the physicality over here. That is a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. So we'll have to give him a bit of time next season, but. You know, just just look at that left foot and just look what it's capable of. It, it would add to any team's armoury and it, it will definitely add to Chelsea's. Well, just one other thing to raise is that the fact that one of the big doubts about Ziyech that some clubs had was about his physicality because he's a very lean player. And if you look at Chelsea against United and at different points this season, they're not a very physical team. So he won't help in that sense. That's why I said earlier there are other big issues to address. I think he, he certainly if he works out, will address the goals and creation problem or certainly help to do that. But they need to work on changing the physical profile of this team as well. Okay, well, time will tell whether he can make the desired impact with his new club. He officially becomes a Chelsea player on July the 1st. Uh, Elsewhere in Chelsea news, last time we spoke, it was the evening of the Chelsea Under-18s Youth Cup tie with Wolves. Well, Ed Brand's team made light work of their opponents, hammering them 7-0 to reach the quarterfinal. Simon, you saw this, didn't you? Armando Brozier is somebody you've written about for The Athletic. Was he one of the standout performers? He was. Um, he didn't score, but he was involved in five of the goals. Um, I sort of got the impression beforehand he was someone that that is very good in terms of running behind defences and link-up play, etc. And, and you could see exactly that. But the standout player for me was Tino Andrewin by Mark. He, he basically just looks like a player that is too good for that level. And he's, should, he's captain of that team, isn't he? Yeah, he, he just... He just... He looks like Ruben Loftus-Cheek the second. 
and, and fingers crossed he doesn't have similar bad luck with injuries. Um, he just looks powerful. He scored one of the goals. He just sort of ghosted through Wolves' defence with ease. Um, of course, he's in, he's in contract talks at the moment. Should be um, signed, sealed and delivered pretty soon and clearly has a very bright future. Another one I was quite impressed with was Lewis Bate, um, who basically is Billy Gilmore. <laughs> the way he, he um, conducts midfield, passes beautifully um, I was very impressed with him but yeah, unfortunately he's got someone ahead of him in the pecking order that has now joined up with the first team squad but definitely has a bright future yeah well a nice link there Liam you went to see the under 23s on Monday night hoping to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek he didn't play though uh, but you did see Billy Gilmore who is now a member of the first team squad but scored for the under 23s uh, Chelsea won the game 2-1 to stay top of the PL2 table Brozier scored uh, anybody else catch the eye apart from him and Gilmore I think it was it was those three again, Gilmore, Broder and Angerin were the were the standouts, although I would say also that goalkeeper Carlo Ziga was really good in the second half because Arsenal put some real pressure on once Chelsea went two one up. Storm Dennis is mostly passed, but it was still quite a blustery evening, um, which both teams had difficulty with. I mean Arsenal's goal was basically a a a, a cross really that got caught by the wind and ended up in the top corner. Um but Chelsea fought their way back and then once they were in front, they had to sit deep and absorb quite a lot of pressure and, and Ziga made some really, really good saves, which, you know, I think when you're looking at the progress of, of goalkeepers in particular in Chelsea's academy, part of the problem they often have is they don't get tested very much. So it was quite good to see him in action and actually get to show that he's pretty good himself. Yeah, he's a Croatian under-19 international. I'd imagine he'll probably go out on loan uh, next season. The women's team won 1-0 in the FA Cup tie against Liverpool which was moved from Sunday to Monday night in anticipation of Storm Dennis um, no idea why it couldn't be played on Tuesday because Wimbledon aren't at home on Tuesday night and they obviously would have got a much better crowd uh, Guro Wrighton got the only goal it sets up a quarter-final tie away to Everton and next on our agenda the visit of an old frenemy to the bridge this weekend so Chelsea get the weekend's Premier League action underway this coming Saturday. They face Tottenham Hotspur at Stamford Bridge in the lunchtime kickoff. The Blues have already got the better of Spurs once this season, winning 2-0 in North London just before Christmas. Uh, Dom, that was arguably Chelsea's best performance of the season. They haven't come anywhere close to replicating it since. Do you have a theory as to why that is? I imagine that um, they ran out of legs um, a bit over the festive period. Um, and that te- that squad depth was was tested the the depth of, of of pedigree. I going into that game, I remember we did the podcast in preview of that, and I I sort of came off the fence and uh, and thought that Chelsea might actually get something from that from that match, and Judy did. It was it was guesswork on my part, obviously. There's no foresight. Don't speak down <laughs> Dom's predictions. <laughs> oh, my predictions are dreadful. However, I'm slightly wary of this fixture. I have to say, um, I just. Spurs, Spurs are very open at the back. They, they, the Villa game was great entertainment as a, from a neutral point of view on on Sunday, but but they they've got real pace um, up, up top now. Um, another lad from Dutch football, Bergwijn. Bergwijn, there you go, Bergwijn. Another import from Dutch football, Bergwijn has made a, a, a real impact since he's come, and he really stretches back lines. Um, Lucas Moura looks slightly more at home now and Son, although he can be infuriating to watch and he missed so many chances at the weekend, he did also score a couple um, and I, th- I think they'll really, they have the potential to make it a really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable afternoon. Just just a quick update on, on that. Uh, 
the athletic we we've written on uh, Tuesday morning at Son has uh, has fractured his his elbow and it's just been confirmed <laughs> by Tottenham. <laughs> Spurs do have some dangerous players. Son would be one of them if he didn't have a fractured elbow. Um, but that's something that's in Chelsea's favour. Liam, my concern is that Spurs aren't playing very well and yet they've won their last three games in the league. Chelsea aren't playing very well and at the moment it doesn't look like they're going to win again this season. Yeah, that Bjorn Engels mistake was uh, very, very costly for Chelsea. You could feel it in the moment and um, it put a lot of pressure on them against United and obviously it's really, really close now. There is a kind of striking resemblance to where Chelsea were heading into the game away at Tottenham, to be fair. They they had absolutely no momentum. They'd been on a bad run. Um, that seven-game winning streak was far in the rear view and, and they produced their best all-round performance of the season. And, and of course, on an individual level, William produced probably the best performance of his Chelsea career. Um, that's what they're going to need. That's the kind of level that they're going to need to reach to get this done because there there's not a lot of confidence in this team. I think that particularly there's not a lot of confidence in the Stamford Bridge crowd watching this team. There's no confidence that they will find a goal ever. Um, so they, <laughs> they need to try and um, find a different way. And, and we've, you know, we've spoken about Giroud. I think this would be a good game for him to start. Tottenham's vulnerability at set plays at Villa was remarkable as well. I mean, again, I mean, they literally tried to sign yeah. Giroud in January. So, yeah. I mean, do you think we might see a game where every set piece goes in? Because <laughs> Chelsea well, can't Chelsea's, defend set Chelsea pieces either. Though I wonder whether Giroud might help on that, on that front as well. At least it gives him. A, he helped a little bit when presence. he came on against yeah. United. I mean, their record on corners is is appalling this season. But I mean, if they can, I was interested actually uh, going back to the slide, briefly to the to the United game. Um, Williams' delivery obviously infuriates quite a lot of people from corners, but Reese James took a couple late on, and it at least he missed the first defender, and he, he put it into dangerous areas as well. I, I wonder whether they should just pursue that one, and, and rather than William taking the vast majority of them. Yeah, I'm surprised it actually has taken this long for Reese James to get put on corner duty. Is that a seniority thing on the pitch? You think? I think it is. Yeah, I mean, we we could see earlier in the season that Mason Mount was swinging in more consistently dangerous deliveries than William but there still seemed to be times where William pulled rank on him as a senior player um, and and James is obviously even lower down that pecking order because he's broken into the team later but he's it's clear for everyone to see he's the best technical crosser in the squad so unless there's an argument for having him in the box because they're quite a small team he's sort of average height and really really well built a powerful guy so maybe you want him in there as a threat but if not I think he probably should be taking them uh, Simon, if we're looking for some positives, Spurs have got a game this week and Chelsea haven't. That's a big thing. And I'm hearing that Son's an injury doubt. <laughs> Good player, Son. Yeah. yeah um, Great elbow. Yeah, and of course, <laughs> don't, don't forget, he's um, they're also without Kane. You know, let, let's not rush over that. But um, yeah, there are reasons to be positive. Chelsea's record over Spurs you and Stamford Bridge. sound very positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, do I? I mean, let me be more upbeat. Chelsea's record at Stamford Bridge has been pretty good against Spurs. They, they've not been very good away from home against Spurs, albeit that win uh, over the festive period aside. Um, but yeah, I, I just think this is... We, we're basically hitting make or break time for Chelsea's season. Don't forget Bayern Munich's just around the corner as well. I think this is a much bigger game for Chelsea than it is for Tottenham. Chelsea are in free fall, you know, 15 points, 14 games... It is is just not good enough. Um, if they've got a hope of finishing 
top four stroke top five, depending on Man City's uh, Champions League ban. So I, I just think it's a time for, as Frank Lampard said after the United game, the season starts now. It, it really is now a race to the finish and they've got to get off to a good start against their rivals. All right, well, we'll, of course, bring you all the fallout from that game on next week's show. Uh, we're almost out of time for today, but before we leave you, it's time to meet our latest cult hero. Well, this week we've chosen Gus Poye as our cult hero. Seems apt, seeing as he played for both Chelsea and Spurs and they're facing off this weekend. Uh, Poye joined Chelsea from Zaragoza in 1997. By the time he left for Spurs four years later, he'd won the FA Cup, the Cup Winners' Cup and the Super Cup, in which he got the only goal of the final against Real Madrid in 1998. He made 145 appearances for Chelsea, scoring 49 goals, including, Liam, your all-time favourite Chelsea goal. Which one was that? Can you guess? Sunderland opening day. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, the the I think if one goal summed up that Chelsea team, that sort of ninety seven to two thousand Chelsea team, that goal against Sunderland, the the impudent Zola scoop and the r- ridiculous volley into the top corner from Poyet. I thought it was a, an amazing goal and I Poyet was a really, really good player for Chelsea, a really important player in that team and I I actually spoke to him uh, a couple of months ago for the Champions League retrospective piece I did on, on Chelsea's first campaign in the competition, 99-2000. And, uh, and he was really, really good, really insightful talker about what made that team so special. The fact that he felt that because they were all foreigners, they kind of needed each other and they created a culture all to themselves, which um, Dennis Wise, as we've spoken about previously, played a big role in. But... Poyet was another one of these strong characters that helped make that team what it was. And and the other thing that stuck with me from that piece was that he he still hasn't gotten over Viali overlooking him for both legs of that Barcelona tie. Uh, he'd, he'd been an ever present on that run, and then he was he was dropped when he said when he was when I was at Zaragoza I marked Guardiola ten times out of ten, um, and and of course it didn't go so well for Chelsea either. But he was a he was a big player left under something of a cloud, which I know has tainted him in the eyes of some Chelsea fans, the fact that he went to Spurs. But he, he made a big impact and did a lot for Chelsea while he was there and created some really memorable moments. Well, what what, um, what people may forget is that in 98-99, Chelsea finished just four points behind the treble winners, Manchester United. And one of the big factors, one of the big blows that Chelsea suffered in terms of their pursuit of Man United was Poyet suffering an injury. Him and Tori Andrew Flo were both out for two to three months. And that was massive at the time. And it really it really cost Chelsea in the end. And and he I, I hesitate to use the word cult figure, um, in the sense that a lot of Chelsea fans have never forgiven him, not just for joining Spurs, but for kissing the Tottenham badge in the League Cup semi final. And what people didn't realise is that Whilst he was kissing the Tottenham badge, it was more, because I've spoken to him about this, it was actually his stance against Ranieri, who he felt forced him out of the club before he wanted to go. So it was more of a Ranieri thing than a showing a disrespect to Chelsea thing. But of course, one can appreciate how a lot of Chelsea fans won't have any sympathy once you... The language of badge kissing is not a subtle one. Yeah, it was probably not the best way. The goal was probably enough him to prove his point but Poyet's a very passionate chap and I think deep down he regrets it I, I know I know he his heart is still Chelsea um, and he's sort of very he was actually at Stanford Bridge the other night um, 
and I think he does regret sort of like the way his his relationship with Chelsea fans has soured. But for me, he was one of Chelsea's best signings because he was very cheap as well. I think was he a free signing or just a few hundred grand? It was it was a, it was an inspired bit of business, and he certainly did a great job when Chelsea when he was at Chelsea. And there's this odd footnote to his association with Chelsea, Dom, in that he was manager of the Sunderland team that got that win at Stamford Bridge a few years ago, which pretty much kept them up, ended Chelsea's long home record. A similar sort of question to, to the one I asked about Mark Hughes last week. Are, are we saying that Poyet is finished as a, as a Premier League manager? It's been a long time since he was even linked with a job in, in the top flight in England. Yeah, his, his managerial career has gone a bit bitty in recent years. Um AEK Athens, Real Betis, Shanghai Shenhu and Bordeaux, um, all after Sunderland. Uh, I, I would think that's probably him done, yes. And he'd have to probably start back in Championship and, and work his way into the Premier League if he wanted to coach at that level again. Which is a shame. He did a brilliant, brilliant job at Brighton. I mean, bearing in mind, you know, that was a club that was with Dean at the time, playing an athletics ground, tiny crowds, no atmosphere. And he, he took them into the Amex Stadium. And, and timed that elevation perfectly with you know with the opening of the ground and, and promotion um, and really helped them develop and become the Premier League club that they, they are these days. Um, I hope that hasn't tarnished his managerial reputation too much, but I, I suspect that the actual poison chalice was, was Sunderland because everybody, everybody goes there seems to suffer subsequently. We just had it confirmed from the producer that Poyet was a free transfer from Real Zaragoza. Another one of Colin Hutchinson's Bosman <laughs> legends. Well, I thought you were about to say he's broken his <laughs> broken his elbow and he's out of the game. <laughs> Good work, Tom. Uh, Gus Poyet, this week's cult hero. We'll have another one next episode. That's just about it for this week. Uh, but it's the time where I ask you what you're writing about this week, although oftentimes you don't know by the time I ask you, so it's a bit of a hospital <laughs> pass. I'm guessing, though, Liam... A certain Tottenham manager with a bad haircut is going to be featured. Yep. Joint read this week. Myself and Simon will be talking about Mourinho's return to Stamford Bridge and how his legacy at Chelsea began to degrade even while he was at the club um, and and how that process has continued apace since then. Um, And I'm also looking into uh, a piece on Willian later this week, given how much his legacy is also tied in with Spurs. Uh, Dom, how about you? You've got a more a more broader scope. Yeah, I'm doing a I'm trying to do some research on a piece on managers who who keep going back to the same clubs, and I suppose Mourinho probably would come into that category. Although, as Liam's just suggested, he's not going to come back a third time. I bet Martin Allen's going to feature in that. Martin Allen would do. Yeah, a lot of them are lower league. <laughs> probably needs a hook. So Martin Allen going back to Barnet at some point would be helpful. But yeah, we'll see where it goes. Sounds good. Looking forward to reading those. Thanks for your company this week. Do tell a friend and leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show. And remember, you can get an ad-free version of the podcast if you're an Athletic subscriber when you listen via the Athletic app. We'll be back next week in our regular Tuesday morning slot. Until then, bye for now. Mm-hmm.